Okay, so the past two weeks we've been going through Psalm 1 and its corresponding introduction in Psalm 2 as an introduction to the whole Psalter completely. And now we want to get into um, more of an overview of the whole book of Psalms, and then we're going to look at a couple categories of Psalms and try to identify uh, just some, some specifics in that that helps us grow in our understanding as we progress towards delighting in God's law and meditating on his law day and night. So as a summary, the book of Psalms is a collection of 150 ancient Hebrew songs that were compiled by various authors over hundreds of years. The psalmists wrote it with intense honesty and transparency about their lives and especially about their faith struggles. These authors wrote about feeling abandoned by God, Psalm 22, suffering severe illnesses, Psalm 41, fearing great danger, Psalm 54, almost giving up on God out of disillusionment, Psalm 73, experiencing crisis of faith, Psalm 77, enduring lasting depression, in Psalm 88, feeling dismayed when they compare their experiences and God's promises. Psalm 89, even intense anger is expressed in the Psalms in Psalm 109. Note that that expression, as well as all of them, are expressed before the Lord in God's presence. And this is the place that we need to be expressing our emotions. They also wrote openly about sins they committed, as in Psalm 51. And being on the receiving end of God's painful fatherly discipline, as in Psalm 39. These authors all wrote their deeply personal, even exposing songs for the benefit of all God's people. Why? This was an expression of their experience. And being led by the Holy Spirit, they wrote for the rest. The rest of them as well as the rest of us. Because at any given time, in any number of places, there are people who are experiencing similar emotions and circumstances. And so they can go to the Psalms and know that God is faithful. The Psalms are written in a raw, revealing honesty because life is lived in a raw, revealing honesty. All of us have a a church face that we express on Sunday mornings, right? But there's a Tuesday afternoon face that's probably much different, much varied from our Sunday morning face. We need the theology of Psalms, not just understanding the emotions, but we need the theology of it as well. While Psalms is not written as a letter, meaning to communicate doctrine and truth, like many of the New Testament letters, and even the accounts of Moses and the prophets. There's abundant theology in the Psalms. The most important of these doctrines is that, and this is the premise of all 150 Psalms, there is a God and he is in control. Even Psalm 88, which reads through as it's written by Job himself in the deepest, darkest torment of his soul and knowing that his friends have showed up and abandoned him in their, in their comfort, knows that there is a God, 
and he is in control. The theology of the book of Psalms is so profound that Martin Luther himself says that he called the book of Psalms a little Bible, a summary of the Old Testament. So the, old, the book of Psalms is packed with theology. And it has been said that the purpose of theology is doxology. So we study, we know, so that we can worship. So the goal of Psalms is for us to know and then worship. And that's the heart of the book of Psalms. We are being led to worship God. John Calvin puts it this way, What various and resplendent riches are contained in this treasure. It is an anatomy of every part of our soul. For there is not an emotion of which anyone can be conscious that is not here represented represented as in a mirror. And so it is with our whole being that we study the book of Psalms. And we do that according to what we learned in Psalm 1, right? We do that according to the blessing that we are not walking in the counsel of the wicked, not standing in the path of sinners, and not sitting in the seat of scoffers, but are delighting in God's word and meditating in that same word day and night. And also in the light of the prophecy of Psalm 2. Because God will establish his king. And not only will, he did establish his king. And it was his son. And the king is seated with him in his holy place on Mount Zion. Ruling and reigning with God. So, broad overview of the book of Psalms. There are 150 chapters. Divided into five books. Okay? The books, book one... Chapter 1 through 41, book 2, chapter 42 through 72, book 3, chapter 73 through 89, book 4, chapter 90 through 106, and book 5, chapter 107 through 150. Each of these has a form of doxology, has a praise that closes out the last psalm. Um, my notes say Psalm 41, yours probably says 42 because I put 42 incorrectly, so it's 41. Verse 13, one of you should have said, Todd, there is no 42.13. Psalm 42 stops, right? I think it's 10 or 11. Come on, y'all. <laughs> Psalm 41.13, blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Amen and amen. Psalm 72, starting in verse 18, says, blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who alone does wondrous things. Blessed be his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. The prayers of David, the son of Jesse, are ended. Psalm eighty-nine, fifty-two: Blessed be the Lord forever. Amen and amen. Psalm 106, 48. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. And let all the people say, Amen. Praise the Lord. And the final doxology, one of book five, Many commentators believe that it starts in actually chapter 146. And it is a conclusion, just as Psalms 1 and 2 were an introduction to the whole Psalter. Psalm 146 through 150 is a conclusion 
And here we are instructed to praise God and not put our trust in the power and ability of man, particularly rulers, those that had power on earth. Then we're instructed to praise God because he knows and is close to the suffering. Psalm 147. Psalm 148 erupts with a call to praise God from the highest of heavens to the deepest of the depths. For as verse 14 says, he has raised up a horn for his people. Praise for all his saints, for the people of Israel who are near to him. Praise the Lord. Who's that horn? It's the Lord. It's Jesus. For he was raised up for the propitiation of our sins. He was raised up to new life in the resurrection by the power of the Holy Spirit. And he ascended up and is seated with God the Father in heaven. And then Psalm 149 instructs God's people to sing a new song. It will be the song of judgment. Much like the closing ending chapters, the book of Revelation sings songs, tell prophecies about the book about God's judgment coming. Very similar. Because then what do we see in Psalm 150? And I'll read the whole thing. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise his mighty heavens. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with trumpet sound. Praise him with lute and harp. Praise him with, heart, with tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with sounding cymbals. Praise him with loud crashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Which would be very similar to Revelation 21 and 22 in the picture of heaven. So we go from judgment to lasting praise and letting everything that has breath praise the Lord. Truly, this book is a miniature Bible. In it, we see themes. We see book one, composed mostly of David's psalms. And we see that that his rule and his reign, even before that, leading up when Saul was chasing him, we can see direct pictures of that. We can see that it transitions in book two, away from David and more to a time of of Solomon, possibly, um, of leading into the kingdom, developing past David. Book three, we have a lot of, of darkness in book three and, and how it um, develops a theme of potentially the, the, the north and, and the south kingdoms. And then the north kingdom going into exile and, and quite possibly the south kingdom at the end of book three going into exile. If not, then into book four, definitely. Because book four has a lot of depressed, down-looking but forward-looking. So they're, they're obviously low because they've heard the promises of God. They can read the promises of God. But yet the promises of God, they're not seeing them. Right? They're not manifesting and seeing these promises of God come to life. And so they're having struggles with, well, God, is this true? Is your word truly faithful? And yet every one of them Except for Psalm 88, close with this. But God, you are faithful and you will be faithful. And so we we get this picture and then we transition into book five. And book five is a ramp. We start 
the first part of it, and we get to, to Psalm 109, and it's, it seems the darkest hour has come. But then you go to Psalm 110, and here comes the king. Here comes the king that is going to be established upon David's throne. This one that is, has been promised is coming and will be established. So what a joy. What, what wonder this whole book holds. There are three main categories, and I say main categories because I know lots of commentators have divided as many as 20 categories of psalms. It's much like looking at the stars on a, uh, a dark night when you're away from the city lights, um, and you can see these dots, um, and some of them may look like they have a little tint of color to them. Some of them actually kind of look like they're twinkling, and other ones may look like it, it may have just moved a little. Um, but there, there are three main categories. Obviously, if we zoom in and we, we really get down, we can see different subcategories under these categories. So the categories are these. You have psalms of hymns, which are typically a psalm about the character of God and praising God for his character. You have psalms of lament. These are typically psalms coming out of a heart's cry of depression sometimes, of, um, of a general feeling of darkness surrounding them. And then thirdly, you have psalms of thanksgiving. Now, like I said, each one of these, there could be a royal hymn. There could be um, a corporate lament or an individual lament. There are obviously different categories to each one of these, these general categories. But for the purposes of our time together, we're just going to hold to these three general categories which cover most of the book of Psalms. So we have several questions that help us apply what we read in Psalms, right? The first one of these is, how would the original author have sung this song? And I want you to remember that these are songs. So how would the original author have sung this psalm? Even, even in one like Psalm 22, that is, is overtly messianic. But how would have David sung that song? And we need, to, we need to focus on that first so that we have the foundation and knowing you know, that, that David felt forsaken. David in his life had felt like God abandoned him so that we capture his heart and his feelings in the psalm which lead us to well, what does the rest of the Bible say about this psalm? And then we can get to Jesus' quoting of the psalm and see is on the cross. Uh, we have other places that, that bring the psalms together. Obviously, Psalm 110 is the most quoted psalm in the rest of the Bible. And it's used over and over again. And thirdly, how would have Jesus sung this psalm? So remember, this is, this is Jesus' prayer book. He often used this, most probably at, at the Last Supper, right after when they said they sung a song before they left. It was... Something from the Psalter, probably somewhere in the 146 to 150 range. These psalms of praise, these hallelujahs. This is, this is what they sang. This is what composed their prayers many times. These are the heartbeat and the, the words that the Israelites used. Fourthly, what would Jesus make of this psalm? How would he highlight it? How would he 
use it for his own heart. Even the, even the Psalms that declare our guilt and our shame, you can hear Jesus saying, I am familiar with their guilt. I am familiar with their shame because I am going to take that on. And more importantly, it, just think about temptation, right? Hebrews tells us Jesus tempted, tempted in every way, but without sin. So he knows temptation even more deeply than we could ever because we give in, right? We yield to it. He goes so much further beyond that. How much, how much more intense does it get? The further you resist and the more that you resist. How, how much how hard, how much harder? How are you going to say this? Uh, anyway, how much more intense would Satan be um, in wanting to trip up Jesus? And we think our, our temptations are, are great and hard. Um, he endured constantly, consistently, trusting himself to God. Fifthly, how would the Holy Spirit, remember, this is God's word, right? God breathed. Every aspect of it. That's what Paul would have wrote about, wrote about in First Timothy. Saying that all the scriptures God breathed. How would the Holy Spirit sing this psalm to you? How would he be applying this song over you, to you, highlighting in you? And then lastly, how will you sing this song back to God? Because that is the cycle that the Psalms present. It's what all scripture present. That's a, that's a picture of meditation, right? That we discussed last week. That, that we delight in his law. And in his law we meditate. The delight and the meditate go together and form this eternity. Just back and forth, back and forth. We're delighting and meditating and growing in our delight. Because we meditate. Day and night, day and night. And then there are different ways of, of thinking through the Psalms for our purposes of application. And we know that, that 1 John tells us that, that we have this anointing inside of us. And that we don't need a teacher. You don't, you don't need me to lead you in the Psalms. Because you have the Holy Spirit. And so you go to the Psalms and, and you've identified the, the original author and, and where he would have positioned himself and how Jesus would have positioned himself. How the Holy Spirit is speaking to you. And you ask this question, what am I to believe from this Psalm? What is this psalm leading me to believe? Or what is this category of psalms? Because they have, they have whole themes of psalms that you're meant to read together. Psalm uh, 111, which we'll look at today, is meant to be read with 112. They're like, like the same side of two coins. And it, the picture is huge and, and it's deep. Um, but how are we supposed to, what are we supposed to believe from this psalm? What am I supposed to feel from this psalm? Our, our feelings are not, these, these side dishes to the word of God, apart from our brains, right? We, we have this mentality, we've got we to store these things, we've got to know the scriptures. No, just think of anything that you know in your life, anything. It's known to you because you want to know it. That want to part of it is your feelings that have attached to it. Whether it's, it's you know, a feeling of wanting to be superior And so that's why you want to know something or it's a feeling of helplessness and you've got to get this information because you're helpless. No matter what it is, there is an emotional attachment to that knowledge. And that's what we bring in meditating with the word of God. And then lastly, maybe most importantly, is what 
are we to do? How are we to obey this psalm? Right? Because scriptures call us to obey. So being mindful of, of what we have learned so far in this overview, I want to expand the summary this way. The book of Psalms is a collection of 150 ancient Hebrew songs that were compiled by various authors over hundreds of years in order to help God's people remember. And in order to help God's people remember in every circumstance in every place, in every time, that God is the only source of salvation and the only foundation for faith. So it's there to remind each and every one of us and each and every person throughout history that God is the only source of salvation and God is the only source or the only foundation for faith. These are the goals of Psalms. And we are to put our hope in him. So with this in mind, turn open to Psalm 111. We're going we're gonna to skim through, get some of it, take it on. Um, we're going to read it entirety. Um, and before that, you're going to do a quick introduction to it. I did some of it. Or remind us of that. And then we're gonna I'm gonna do some kind of interactive questions based on what we've learned as far as our categories, um, and then maybe some some of the application questions as well. So here's our here's our first interaction question. You ready? It's gonna be a hard one. Which psalm comes before Psalm one eleven? It's not a trick question. This is not a Peter question. Anybody? Nice. Yeah, about 110 of them, right? Thank you. <laughs> Psalm 110. So, by the power of the Holy Spirit, Psalm 111 follows Psalm 110. It is intentional and it is specific. What do we learn in Psalm 110 that we discussed earlier? Psalm 110 is about the coming of the King. Psalm 110 is... Very hope-filled. Psalm 110 is, is us aligning ourselves with the purposes of God that he promised through to David that, that one of his descendants would sit on the throne. And it's coming to pass. And so then we get this eruption of praise from Psalm 111 through Psalm 118. Okay? And, and it's along the lines of the, the command that Moses gives in Deuteronomy 17, uh, in Deuteronomy 17, 18 through 20, Moses commands that when you get into the land and you demand a king, here's what the king's supposed to do. So, and when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself in a book, a copy of this law approved by the Levitical priests. And it shall be with him and he shall read it, read in it all the days of his life that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by keeping all the words of his law and these statutes and doing them, and that his heart may not be lifted up above his brothers, that he may not turn aside from the commandment either to the right hand or the left, so that he may continue long in his kingdom and he and his children in Israel. 
So that is the, that is the purpose of the king to, to fulfill his spiritual rulership of the kingdom. That he is to write his own copy of the law. More than likely what, what Moses is talking about is the Torah, the first five books. Right? But it is, it is instruction. So this is also what the Psalm, oneist, the Psalm 1 would have said. There, the part of his blessedness that on his law, on his Torah, he meditates day and night, that that's his delight. Same way. Well, this king in, in Psalm 110 is delighting, is meditating, first of all, on who God is. And we see that in Psalm 111. Then he's meditating on what's our response to God in Psalm 112. And he continues and he continues and continues until you get this, what, what seems like a eruption about the glory of God's word. And it takes him 176 verses to do it. And not just 176 individual verses that he puts together, but he lays them out according to the Hebrew alphabet, beginning each line. So there's so much intentionality and thought put into why this word goes right here in the praise of God's word. God's instruction, God's law. And he used about eight different words to describe the power of God's word that he has been meditating on and just how blessed and how happy he is to have been meditating on that word. And we know that as Psalm 119. And this king is rejoicing in the word. So let's read Psalm 111 knowing that... We are in the midst of this king's rapture here. Verse 1. Praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. In the company of the upright in the congregation. Great are the works of the Lord. Studied by all who delight in them. Full of splendor and majesty in his work. His righteousness endures forever. He has caused his wondrous works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and merciful. He provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. He has shown his people the power of his works in giving them the inheritance of the nations. The works of his hands are faithful and just and all his precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. He sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. All right. Someone tell me what type of what type of psalm is this in our three categories? Where does this fit? Is it a hymn? Is it a lament or is it a thanksgiving? Him, praise, perfect, exactly. Why? It's about God's character. Thank you, Mr. Mike. Perfect, yes. It is about God's character. Therefore, it is a hymn of praise. Um, So, very good. All right, so here we go. Here's some applications. Here's some things that, that we can believe and we can feel and we can do um, as we meditate on this psalm. And I'm going to give you a very brief overview as I look at the clock um, about these topics, which should be a primer for the pump. It should be 
uh, just a trickle in your, the pump of your heart and your meditations and your longings, your desires to have you go back into the Psalms and dive in there deeply um, as we want to continue in next week as well. And then just for the rest of your life, just to see these Psalms and the value of them in your life. So first thing we notice is that praise and worship is a command. Very first words, very first line says, praise the Lord. We are commanded to praise the Lord. And what a joy that is. And um, D.A. Carson reminds us that this word praise, this word worship is what's called a transitive verb. Yes, I had to look that up. Nick and Pastor Peter can do it all day long. The rest of you English English major people can handle all that. I cannot. But a transitive verb. What do you mean, D.A.? Come on, help me. He says, transitive verbs have to have a direct object is what he told me. So I'm sorry if I was incorrect in that. But they have to have something that they're going to do that action. It's got to be tied together. You don't just go and praise. Right? Because that's just experience praise to praise. You have to go praise something or someone. So praise the Lord. And we are commanded. We are, we are commanded not just to praise, but to praise God. And then he's going to tell us why. He's going to give us a how. And he's going to tell us the what about it. So we'll start. Um, uh, hold on. Before we, before we get there, because I, I feel like this command also, I had another application point here. Um, it's, I think it's important for us in raising our children, and I'm in the midst of this, so I obviously do not have the, the clarity that a lot of you have that have gone through this. And so I am learning what the importance is of raising kids, you know, and, and I've started to kind of hone that in. Nick and Angel actually helped me last night about asking a question about where I, where I want them to be when they graduate. And I, I've further thought about it. Um, and here's, here's what I'm coming up with right now. This is work in progress. So some of you older people can help me out and correct me, adjust me. Number one is prayer, right? And I want to, I want to pray over them. I want to, I want to have prayer be a primary resource that I use into their lives. Okay. Number two is practice. I want to live in such a way that they believe that I believe the word, right? I want, I want to practice what I speak. I want, to, I want to practice that before them because guess what? They know better than anybody when I say something up here that I don't really walk out. They can call me out on it quicker than anybody can, right? Besides my wife. My wife much better than that. So... And then, and then lastly is, and I'm just, I just kept the alliteration here, is precepts. Is I want them to know, and I said last night that I wanted them to, to learn how to learn. More importantly, I want them to know the precepts of God. The, the specific precepts of God. And, and then in this knowing, I'm going to put my confidence in the promises of God. That I have, I have brought them up in a way that they should go. And that they will not depart from it. And trust God with the rest. I'm going to pray for them. I'm going to walk it out in front of them. And then I'm going to teach them the precepts of life. And I feel like this is what the psalmist is doing for us here. 
Because immediately he goes into how? And he says, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. So you are commanded to praise, but I will praise. I'm not just telling you to do it. I'm going to do it. But where? Where is he doing it? In the congregation. I'm going to do it here. This is why Sunday mornings are so important. That we get to worship in the midst of our family. We have to come together. And we get to have real emotions together. To have real life situations together. So that we can walk together in the midst of the congregation. So why do we do this worship? And he gives a list. Verse 2, it talks about his works. In verse 3, it talks about God's character. I'm going to skip over 4 and 5. And I'm going to come back to them. In verse 6, it talks about his power. And 7, again, in his works. In 8, it talks about his instruction, being trustworthy and established forever. And that it's to be, it's to be performed or obeyed faithfully and uprightly. Verse 9, he says he sent redemption and he commanded his covenant. And that it's by his name. It's why we should worship and then we'll get to verse 10 in a little bit. But first, we're going to skip, jump back up to verses 4 and 5. And, and let's reread what he says there. He said, He has caused his wondrous works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and merciful. He provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. So why should we worship God? He has caused his covenant to be remembered He does that for us. That's his work by the power of the Holy Spirit in us, causing us to remember. Right? So you come before the Lord, your daily devotion time in the morning, and you find a generous heart in you. You find a heart that is longing to be in the word, longing to pray and cry out before God. Where should your Attention go in that moment. Not upon, wow, I feel great today. Wow, it's, it's, man, I'm doing great today. No. Your, your attention should go to the God who has caused you to remember his covenant. To remember his salvation. To remember the cross. If that is in you, praise God. Rejoice in it. And rejoice in God that he has given you that remembrance. And not only that. Because it goes on and, and uh, in the last part of verse 5 says, and he will remember his covenant. He will see you as he sees his son. That is the covenant he has made in Christ. That was the covenant that he made with Adam and, and Noah, Abraham. That he confirmed through Moses and David. And all of it was summed up in this covenant that he made with us in Christ called salvation. And so he will cause us to be to remember it. But he will remember it. There's no causality in his remembering because he never forgets. And that covenant is our blessing. And we should rejoice. We should worship constantly, day and night, as we delight and meditate on that phrase that he is remembering his covenant and causing us to remember his covenant often. And it would, would, would do well to grow in us. Then lastly, in verse 10, he says, the fear of the Lord 
the beginning of wisdom. And all those who practice it have good understand, have a good understanding. And his praise endures forever. We do not have time to go into what that fear of the Lord is, but I want to prime the pump for you. I want you to go home. I want you to go see what is this fear of the Lord. And it's not just the, the, the Proverbs 1, kind of almost repeating the phrase there. But go and, and look. Look how the book of Acts presents the fear of the Lord in the church. Right? Go look at it. How, how Paul says that in, in the first part of Romans, that they don't have any fear of God in their eyes. Everyone's going their own way. What, what is this fear of the Lord? Because it's, I'll tell you this, it's just kind of a, a added primer to the primer. Um, it's more than trembling before God. There is a, a reverential love. And there's more than that. But I won't spoil it because I think that is something for you and the Holy Spirit to suss out this week, to, to search and implore, to meditate on day and night. God, what is this? What is this fear of you that begins wisdom? So it's, it's the beginning of how we should walk, in what council we should walk, where we should be sitting, right? And then when we practice it, when it's our daily, regular practice, we have a good understanding. Our minds have been transformed. You know, we, we have this, this growth in us that is much like the tree in Psalm 1 that the man is compared to. It's planted by streams of water. right? And it yields its fruit. And it is there as a stable, just a, a, a rooted, faithful place, a rooted, faithful man. And then lastly, his praise endures forever. All right. So your homework is one, to learn the fear of the Lord. What does that do? Number two is to read through Psalm 116 and Psalm 44. 116 and 44. And we will come back next week And we will start with Psalm 116 and then get into Psalm 144. I'm sorry. I'm there. My brain. 116 and 44. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for your word. God, thank you so much for the promises. God, thank you that you are the foundation, the hope of this word. We want to worship you. We want to know that, that you're the only salvation, that you're the only foundation that we can have hope in. And we look forward to that, God. So we go downstairs. We pray for uh, the worship time. We pray for the announcements. We pray, God, for the preaching of your word. God, may we hear, may we see, may we do as you call us to do, as we choose to delight and meditate in you and in your instruction, God. And we, we look for wonderful things. Thank you for our family. Thank you for the congregation gathered here. God, may we... Use this opportunity well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.